What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Guardians of the Future podcast. I'm your host, Justin Latta. Uh, it's been a while. Like the last time we did a podcast, it was just me, and we were talking about the trading deadline and maybe potential September call-ups, all that good stuff. Hey, look, none of that happened. The September call-ups, those things didn't happen. Kyle <laughs> Manzardo's not coming up. I don't think George Valera's coming up. Uh, unfortunately, that stuff's going to happen, so... Watching the Guardians play out the string at the end of the year is, is going to be tough. But the good news is, is there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about here in the minor league system. We've got two teams that the season's over, the Lynchburg Hillcats and the Lake County Captains. Next week, we'll talk to Jason Prill, the Lynchburg Hillcats, to kind of do an autopsy on this, their season. This week, we're going to talk to Michael Mahoney, who uh, worked for the Captains this year and, and, quite frankly, probably saw a lot more Captains baseball than I did this year. Um, I do apologize for any listeners to the podcast, anybody who's followed me in the past. Um, for minor league baseball coverage, I did not have a great season covering a lot, just for a lot of different reasons for life, you know, marriage, lockdown guardians, uh, work, all kinds of stuff. Life got in the way. I promise to be better next year. I've got a plan in place. I'm going to do a lot better next year. So I uh, appreciate anybody who listened, anybody who stuck with me this year through an awful year of coverage. I admit I was... Probably the worst year of coverage I've ever had in my since I've started doing this. So I promise you better next year. With that out of the way, uh, let's talk to Michael Mahoney. Michael, thanks for joining me. And uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about uh, your background and uh, how you got into uh, working for the captains? So uh, first off, um, hi, everyone. Um, uh, Justin's really probably his biggest critic. Um, I've been listening to his content for years and years, and um, it's it's definitely been a situation where he's got a lot going on and a lot of different things in life in general. We all have those times, but the content here has been pretty consistently good. Um, I've been a listener since 2018, 2019. Um, Thank you. I got into the uh, captains through um, law school. I ended up working through uh, one of my professors who at the time owned the Lake County captains and uh, wanted someone to look over the professional development league agreement with uh, major league baseball when they transitioned to like the one MLB or the one baseball sort of framework. Um, from there, they needed someone to make sure that the uh, clubhouse was in order and compliant with uh, COVID protocols. So I was helping the clubhouse manager install plexiglass and uh, um, making sure that people were the right distance away from each other and, and wearing masks uh, in the clubhouse for most of 2021 until I think about September-ish. And uh, from there, they were like, well, we trust him. Uh, so they offered me a string position, um, which is basically uh, if you're on game day, stringing is the back end of that. So you're basically working with the score, the official score, and recording whatever happens pitch by pitch, um, any hits or errors that need to be tabulated as well. So if you've seen a Lake County Captain's box score, I think there's a 20 to 25% chance uh, for the home games that I was the one who brought that to you. So if anything didn't make sense, you can blame Mike. No. Yes. <laughs> you guys, did, you guys did a good job this year. That, that job back in the day was wild. The guy that I originally that I knew did it, uh, Tim O'Brien, he he used to be the official scorer's assistant, and he used to have to uh, call that stuff into New York, uh, yeah. inning, inning by inning. So uh, it's come a long way, and you guys, you, know, you guys did a good job this year. Um, you know, a lot of new a lot of new stuff this year in Lake County to get used to, and a yeah. lot of new situations. The new everything, basically. Uh, new ownership, new, um, 
we had a new booth even they moved us out to the uh, the press box um from where we were in in game day ops so my angle of the plate changed a little bit might have actually helped with uh, the balls and strikes honestly it was a little easier to see yeah the press box in lake county is pretty well located i will say so you know we got to chat a little bit up there so that was fun i think that made the season a little bit better because uh media wise it hasn't been the same for a couple of years all right so you know, I thought this team, I thought Lake County was going to chase down a playoff spot. They end up, you know, a couple games out. They they had to win a lot at the end of the year to get in. Uh, you know, they, they had a great series against Lansing to end the year. They had a couple great games in that series. Uh, things kind of felt tough for them in Cedar Rapids. I, I really thought they had enough to chase down a playoff spot. Just didn't fall their way. Um, this was a talented team, though. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know necessarily about – how many future major leaguers? Because look, the 2010 Lake County captains, they won the Midwest League Championship their first year there. Roberto Perez and I think Tyler Holt were the only two players on that roster that made major league had major league playing time. So don't always equate success with future major league talent. Um, that being said, this is probably one of the more talented teams on the field I think I've seen at this level for a while. I'm trying to think last year was a good year in terms of talent. Um you know, the, the year with Daniel Spino and George Valera, all those years, those guys were obviously fantastic. Um, but this this is a lot. Of, I don't know about any future stars. Obviously, we'll talk about Chase DeLauder. I don't know about any future stars on this team besides Chase DeLauder, maybe Juan Brito. Khalil Watson's got star upside. He's got to put it all together. We'll see if that happens. But there is a lot of, I think, future major league talent. I don't know what the, the, the long-term upside is with some of these guys, but there's at least some major league talent on this roster, which – it's always a good thing when you can see guys in, in high A and you think, okay, this guy at least is going to make the majors in some capacity. That's always helpful. For sure. For sure. And I think there's a legitimate, um, there's a, a lot of guys that might be your forties, your 45s that um, are present in this system. Uh, for the first few months, it kind of felt like, um, I don't know how to articulate this exactly, but you know how the major league team has like a hundred home runs right now uh, in September. Uh, it really felt like the Lake County captains for the first few months of the season exemplified that sort of team build. And they had a lot of guys that could generate contact. They weren't necessarily hitting the ball with authority and there aren't many sluggers on this team. Um, the ones that are in the system right now are John Kenzie Noel and, and Aaron Bracho out of nowhere, basically. Uh, so those guys have been past high A for a little while now. Uh, and the guys with power potential that are in this team right now are Khalil Watson, who came over in August or late July, early August with the uh, trade deadline, Chase DeLauder, who was injured for the first few months of the season. So, and those two are really the big ones. Uh, there are a couple guys with great uh, bats and ball skills and Diane Frias has a little bit of pop in his bat. Juan Brito was great when he was here, but he wasn't hitting a lot of home runs. He was pulling the ball well, but he wasn't hitting a ton of home runs relative to the rest of the team he was. So I think there's a lot of upside there. I think that the best players on this team or on this squad um, would have been guys like Chase DeLauder, um, definitely uh, Cooper Ingle when he got here became a guy that was interesting to watch and pretty good behind the plate as well. He surprised me and um, Diane Frias for sure for guys that were here the entire season. Juan Brito while he was here was also excellent. 
yeah. Yeah, hitting-wise, there was a couple guys that came through you can feel good about. Joe Lampy had a good start to the year. He was kind of the, the it player early on and kind of tabled off a little bit. Jordi Valdez had a hot start. Let's We should probably get this out of the way before we get too deep in the podcast to the Chase the Lauder news. So Chase the Lauder is going to spend the last week of the 2023 regular season at Akron. To nobody's surprise, he was unbelievable. Lake County looked like a guy who didn't miss any time, truthfully. And, and we all also forget that he – was in and out of the lineup when he first got there. You know, he had the uh, the high ankle sprain that some other foot issues, they weren't playing every day. So it took a while for him to be in the lineup, you know, five out of six days. But when he got in the lineup, he got healthy finally, and he's hitting the crap out of the ball. And then it also sounds like he will be playing in the Arizona Fall League, which is good. And I want to point out a couple things about the Arizona Fall League. So as a prospect nerd for, you know, 20 years now, whatever it's been, um, the Arizona Fall League is great. I love that. I love the Arizona Fall League because it's a continuation of the minor league season. You get a lot of interesting names in one one space together, and it's fun. That being said, uh, no no teams send good pitchers. So if there's a pitcher, I'm not saying you know pitchers there aren't good. So if you're a pit, if you're a pitcher on any team going playing the Arizona Fall League, I'm not saying you're not a good pitcher, but you're not seeing the top end pitching prospects going to the Arizona Fall League because they would rather ramp guys down or have them pitch and instructs to work on things or the ball flies in that ballpark. And you don't want to subject them to that. Um, so you've got, yeah, you got the ball flying in Arizona you've got pitching prospects there being not so great. So whatever happens in Arizona, let's all take that with a grain of salt with the, the good thing about the going to the Arizona fall league and maybe dying freest too. I think there's a chance for him to go too. we'll talk about that. Um, he's healthy. And, and for hitters, the fall league can be a bit of a finishing school. Like for DeLauder, the pitchers he'll face this week in Akron will, will by, probably be the best pitchers he ever faced in his life, you know, outside of the guys he faced at Florida State that one weekend in college where he struggled. Parker um, Messick. Yeah, yeah. What a, what a great move by the Guardians. They're like, oh, he can't hit Parker Messick? We'll just draft Parker Messick. So the Kansas City Royals or the, the Minnesota Twins can't take him and Try to beat Chase Slaughter. What a, a 4D chess move by the Guardians to do that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it can be kind of a finishing school in Arizona. Like, you know, Mike Trout's played there. There's been a bunch of uh, Major League stars that are that play in the Arizona Fall League. So it does suggest they're prepared to at least move him along the system and he's ready for those steps. So that that's all good signs there. Um, I'm not surprised. I'm I'm not surprised that DeLauder is only going to Akron now that Lake County's over. I know a lot of people wanted to see DeLauder at Akron a lot sooner, but for a guy who missed, you know, a lot of his his last season in college, who missed half the season, um, I'm not surprised they kept him in Lake County. There was there was not a whole lot of reason for him to go to Akron this early. He had to get right playing every day, and I think he needed some confidence. And you know, the numbers he put up, he earned his way to Akron at this point. So I'm not. I'm, I know people wanted to see him there sooner, but. He's going to finish the last week there, but he definitely showed that he's ready for it, especially this last week, the walk started coming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the one thing for me where I thought maybe a few weeks ago you could have justified a move to Akron for Chase DeLauder was that he was clearly comfortable a few weeks ago. He was clearly um, playing the field at a way that they were comfortable with his health. They were playing him in center field rather regularly, so they weren't worried about his foot at that point. Um, he was in a routine and he was killing the ball, but he was killing the ball with his swing. And if you were going to get to a point where you could convince Chase Slaughter, hey, we might need to change some things up because fundamentally we don't understand how you hit the ball the way you do. 
then you need to have him get to a level where he fails. And he wasn't going to fail at high A. He was, he was owning everyone that he faced. So if that was going to be the case, and I think the Arizona Fall League will be a continuation of him having success against pitchers for the reasons you stated. Um, and when you think about the guys that Cleveland has sent to the, the Arizona Fall League as well, like Jose Tena, um, you see some really bright performances. And then he struggled the whole next year. Um, so you're to your point of kind of tempering expectations there too. Um, but yeah, if, if anything, Chase DeLauder definitely deserved the opportunity to get himself right, get used to being a professional and play five to six weeks in a kind of comfortable location, get to know it a little bit. And he definitely earned his way there for sure for Akron. Those are really good points. There's a lot of people who look at Chase DeLauder's swing and don't understand where, where it comes from. And he said he's self-taught. That's how he's always swung. Um, there are a lot of guys out there who do the kind of back scissor kick. If you've never seen Chase DeLauder swing a bat or his stance, he kind of does the, the his back leg kind of comes out from under him and kicks back. And normally that's not best practice because you want your back foot kind of anchored to the dirt um, so you can drive through with your front hip. Did they um, used to are, call that in the bucket or something? Or is that a different phenomenon with the back foot? Uh, the in the bucket thing is where if you step forward too soon and you're out on an island and you put your foot in the bucket and then you're you're kind of out front mm-hmm. on breaking balls. And you which, don't have any power. Yeah, yeah, you don't have any power. You can't react to a breaking ball either. You're you're either chasing or you're gonna check. You're gonna try to check your swing at best, and that's that's sort of an issue for Delauder because he does start his his approach early. Um, and it almost looks like he's trying to cheat on fastballs and he's got to be careful about breaking stuff. So we'll see how he does do at Akron against pitchers with better stuff who locate breaking stuff better. Now they're not going to have a scouting report on him. They're going to go out there and it's the end of the year. I don't even know he's going to be pitching for Altoona. Like Paul Skeens won't be pitching for, for Altoona. He's shut down for the year. I have no idea who's coming in for that team. They're going to be pitching to their strengths, just trying to get you know the last couple of innings of reps and before the season's over. So Whatever he does this week, there's not a whole lot of game plan going on. It's just him going up there and getting comfortable for next year. Um, but you bring up a good point. I mean, the swing is different. He's never failed at playing baseball. I mean, he crushed the competition in college. He crushed it this year. He crushed it in the Cape. Um, and and uh, that happens to a lot of guys in the minors because all these guys, like a first-round pick like Chase Slaughter, his entire life he has been the best player on the field. And that was true this year. At some point, that's going to change. Everybody is going to be the best player on the field. It might start next year in AA. It might start in the Arizona Fall League this year. And I think you make a good point that if they ever were going to consider a chance to make, you know, give him some mechanical changes to work on, it does have to be after he fails, right? You have to see it not work. So, you know what? Okay, like defense, play shortstop, catch, center until you prove you can't stay there. Stick with this swing and this approach until it doesn't work, and then let's let's revisit it. Um, I don't know that they'll obviously won't be jumping off any cliffs to make any changes after a week in Akron. I'm not saying you were saying that, and same with the Arizona Fall League, but at least it gives them an idea to start with. Okay, how is this going to play out? And it can be so tricky with guys like this. Like he's succeeded his entire life with the swing, and if you try to change it, there's no guarantee it's going to be better because he's never done it another way. So. Yeah, it may look it may look unique, it may look weird, and it may ultimately hurt him, may not. But if you do try to take make that that change, there's no guarantee he is going to take to it. But you make some good points about him needing to fail first. He's going to fail at some point, whether when when that is, you know, could happen whenever. 
But if you are going to make that change, you want to make sure that, okay, we see that he is getting his flaw exploited with this swing because nobody was doing it at, at high A. You're right. Nobody right. was doing that. Yeah, he what was is, really league of his own for a lot of the time he was up. What did you think of him in center field? I saw he threw out a runner from left field the other night. The arm's pretty good. Um, what did you think of him in center field? You know, um, I only saw a couple games of him in center field. And in that, in the game that I last saw him in center field, he had uh, one of the, um, he had a not so great throw in from center and it kind of colored my entire view of the, of the outing. He's all right. He's got reasonable instincts. He's not slow, but he's not fast. He's not like Bradley Zimmer where he's this six, five, but runs like a gazelle. Um, he's, he's got a little bit of lumber to him. He's probably a corner, but he's a good corner. I think that's a fair assessment. I, I only saw him on video. I didn't see him in person in center field this year, only on video. Um, but I, I feel like that's a pretty fair assessment because he's probably an average runner at best. And um, he's played the corner his entire life. And really, I think the bat, I still feel like the bat's going to be good enough where you don't have to rely on him to be a center fielder to, you know, like you said, Bradley Zimmer, uh, the way the bat worked out for him, he had to be center, a center fielder or else. I don't think that'll be the case with uh, Chase DeLauder. Speaking of center fielders, I mean, I, I don't know what, where you, who you went. I want to break down a couple of guys, but while we're on the topic of outfielders, one of the guys I was impressed by this year, um, especially in the second half, was Jake Fox. I mean, this guy was, I don't know, 50-50 between playing second, third, short last year in Lynchburg. He got a couple games in the outfield. This year, because the out infield was so crowded at Lake County, he was a center fielder all year for the most part. He played, you know, some right and left, but uh, looked much better in center field as the year went on. I, I, I tell you, I saw him early in the year in Lake County at center field, and I thought, yeah, this isn't going to work. I don't think Jake Fox is an outfielder. He's going to have to go back to second base. He got better as the year went on, and his offense got better as the year went on, too. He changed his swing a little bit. The stance was a little different. He was pulling the ball with authority. He was hitting home runs to the right field, extra base hits. Guy who runs fairly well, um, you know, guy. I don't, I don't know. This is one of those guys we're talking about, like forties, forty fives, maybe not a star. But um, I was concerned after his year in Lynchburg last year that a lot of his um, his plate discipline skills were more passivity than patient because the walk rate was so high and he wasn't doing a whole else but walking. And that, that, that at that level, it's easy to walk because pitchers have no control. Um, but I, I do think there's a major league future for him. I don't know if he's a starter, but. He kind of looks like a guy who's definitely got a, you know, a bench role, but he got better as the year went on on both sides of the ball, which is really nice to see for a high school kid in his first year in high A. For sure, for sure. And I thought that his uh, center field defense in particular, like you mentioned, improved throughout the year. I don't know if this carried through the entire season, but um, at the beginning of the year, it felt like maybe he wasn't getting a ton of zip on his throws in from the outfield or he wasn't terribly accurate. I think he had resolved that by the last few times I had seen him and his jumps were much better um, as the year went on. He really got a feel for how to attack the ball um, and how to read it off the bat in center field in particular. Um, I thought the bat improvement was also good. He reminds me, unfortunately, I don't want to say unfortunately because I don't want to like, disparage anybody, but he reminds me a lot of PD Halpin, like almost too much of PD Halpin in that they, they kind of ended up in the same place offensively. I think Jake Fox strikes out a bit less, um, but doesn't maybe hit the ball with as much authority when he's going poolside. Um, but that's just, it's been a little while since I've seen PD as well. And I think he was a better center fielder. Yeah. 
Petey was a natural. Petey can play center field. Um, I think I do think Jake might be better in the corners, but his reads in center field got better. And I agree with you. I think Petey's got a little more pull side pop, or at least authority. Um, he probably runs a little bit better too, but I, I do agree yeah. with you because Petey was a guy who got better as the season went on and ended the season on a really strong note in Lake County last year. And that hasn't really carried over to Akron this year. So, you know, you got a good point there that no guarantees for Jake Fox, but I mean, for high school kids, it's tough. Like I, I don't people realize like this is the longest they've ever, I think, well, I shouldn't say that because uh, Jake did play a full season last year, but for a 20 year old in high a, um, you know, playing a full hundred, you know, whatever it is 140, 130 games that he played this year to get better as the season goes on is a lot of, takes a lot of effort because a lot of guys can wear down. So to get better instead of, you know, struggle at the end of the year, at least it's a good sign. So, um, Petey's still young. He's what, 20, oh, Petey's 21. 21. Yeah. Yeah. And Jake will be, I think Jake will be 21 most of next year as well. So, you know, still a lot of potential ahead there. Their, their ceilings are not, you know, capped completely yet. So that's a good thing. Um, I don't know who they are for sure, but right at that high level, their seasons feel very similar and that could be a good thing for both. I I think that that showed some good bats of all skills, some good plate, um, some, they had good at bats, especially Jake Fox, the last few months of the season took some really good at bats, made it look more like discipline than passivity, like you mentioned in low way. And I share those concerns too. When you see those low way walk rates that are really exaggerated and then they go to high A and sometimes it doesn't carry over. Um, but he did not have that problem as the year went on. Yeah, I'm I'm at the point where low A stats are, are pretty much like there's almost no correlation. You cannot have any correlation with what that's going to be moving forward. Like there's a lot of interesting guys from low A this year. I can't take any of it seriously until I see them other than just what I've seen on film. All right. I know you want to talk about Cooper Ingle. You want to go there next. You want to talk about sure. Frias. All right. Well, all right. Go ahead and talk about Cooper Ingle. Cooper Ingle, by the way, personal favorite, um, former – uh, podcast co-host Mike Kuva, who is uh, now one of the regional amateur scouts for the Guardians. Uh, this is a he's a Cooper Ingle is a Mike Kuva guy, friend of the show, friend of the uh, the website. Um, this is one of his signings this year, so I was excited to see him. And it looks like he he settled in very nicely, very quickly, which is nice to see. Yeah, I really enjoyed watching Cooper Ingle once he got to uh, Lake County. For those who aren't in the know, um, like Justin was saying, um, he's a recent signing. He was drafted in the fourth round this year um, out of Clemson University. And he, um, I think there were some maybe concerns about his defense coming out. When I saw him, I thought he was pretty athletic behind the plate. I, I know Pat, we talked about this as well. He thought that Cooper was a pretty impressive athlete behind the dish. Uh, framing, maybe it, it's tough to judge from where I am, but it looked like he was giving the effort to put his glove back in a place where, you know, you could steal some calls. His arm was accurate, if not always the strongest in the world. And at the plate, he showed discipline. He rarely swung through pitches in the zone. Um, When he was making contact, usually he was making contact hard, but more singles right now than anything else. And I'm not sure that there's going to be a lot more power. He's pretty maxed out at this point. Um, but he was a joy to watch because um, Lake County's catching situation is um, one of the trouble spots for the organization at this point in time. Their depth at catcher is pretty suspect once you get behind Brian Lavastida, really. 
Uh, so that goes all the way up to double A where they picked up Michael Berglund at the beginning of the year. Now Joe Donovan's there. He was at high A for most of the year last year and this year. Um, Zach Fascia, these undrafted free agent signings who can call a good game but aren't really great at the bat. Engel was refreshing in a lot of senses to watch him have competent at bats uh, for the uh, captains. And, and that's no slander to those guys because they do great work with the pitchers and guys swear by him. But um, yeah, watching the at bats uh, come together for Cooper, you could see that he was, he looks like he's ready for double A. I would agree with that. And to your point about Joe Donovan specifically, um, the first year he was here in 2021, right after the COVID year, was his first year. Uh, pitchers talked, I know Daniel Spino especially talked about working with Joe Donovan. Pitchers do love Joe Donovan. Uh, that guy's got future coach, coach written all over him uh, whenever he yes. decides he's gone up and down the ladder enough as an organizational guy. Definitely a future coach written all over them. And I agree with you about Engel being ready for double A too, because um, I would, I think playing in the ACC, he was a very disciplined hitter, uh, played in a tough competition out there. So not really a surprise that he came into high A, kind of mastered, you know, what pitchers were going to do with him, drawing walks, like you said, grabbing some singles. There's not a lot of juice in that bat. Um, it's going to be a lot of walks and a lot of singles, and you're looking for leadership behind the plate and defense. So, it's, it's a backup catcher profile. I know a lot of people are probably kind of tired of that. And, you know, everyone's going to say, oh, great, more Cam Gallagher's, more uh, more of that type. Like, I don't know that he'll be as bad as Cam Gallagher because at least he can draw a walk, right? Like, right. <laughs> there is that. That's a skill. It's a useful skill at each league level. Uh, we'll see what happens with him. He did play in the ACC, and he did um, have some success there. And uh, we'll see what happens as he moves up the ladder a little bit. But I'm, I'm not surprised at all he came in and, and – Looked like he belonged there all season long. All right, let's 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 just kind of wrap up the hitters before we get to pitching. I, oh, the other point about Cooper Ingle, I will say, this is would have been a good transition to pitching. Maybe we can go this way. Uh, his first couple of outings behind the plate, I believe, were catching Parker Messick's back-to-back best starts, which was his uh, 11-strikeout start and his 10-strikeout start. I think Sounds those great are both, Yeah, those are both Cooper Ingle uh, outings behind the plate. So Parker Messick somehow – didn't get player of the week, either pitcher of the week, either one of those weeks. Not sure how, but uh, he had a pretty good year. I wasn't sure what to expect with Parker Messick this year. But, uh, you know, he had a couple of hiccups here and there. But overall, missed some bats when he got there. But it's plenty of, many of, plenty of bats. And I'm trying to think, he was about 88 to 92 most days. I think he can get up to 93, 94 on occasion. Um, but slider was good. Changeup was good. He definitely – could pitch. And I think he's, he's a guy who's ready to start next season in double A without a doubt. Yeah. I think he's got a really interesting breaking ball. It's got two definite planes to it. I don't know. It's more of a slurvy than a sweeper because it's got that second, that drop. It's, it's more like a 10 to four kind of motion to it. Um, He's got an interesting profile because he throws a good amount of strikes. He's not afraid to pitch inside on right-handed hitters. Um, Sometimes to his detriment, when I saw him on Saturday, I think he got a guy in the hands in a one-two count because he just didn't want to give that. Um, he wanted to make him uncomfortable and probably snap a changeup. The one thing with him is um, even when the command and control isn't, aren't always on lock, he has great pitchability. He knows what he can and can't do, and he knows how to attack a hitter. I think that was very important when he and Cooper Ingle started working together because they both understood how to use Parker Messick's arsenal to its best ability. Where his first couple starts, 
it felt like he had his growing pains, but he had them all at once. Like his first start, it felt like his mistakes were all punished. And that makes his ERA look a little rough when you're box score scouting. I'd encourage you to box score scout his last four to six starts and, and maybe cut off the first three to five because he really grew as a pitcher. And I do think he's ready for double A. And I think he might be a fast mover. I think he's a guy you could expect in triple A midseason next year. Kind of reminds me almost of a left-handed Aaron Savali. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of Savali to this game for sure. Um, I think he might be a little bit more hittable. I think his fastball might be a little bit flatter. but um, And that's, again, not a slight. I need to be careful about that. But, like, um, <laughs> and really – yeah, he's he's he knows what he's doing and he knows how to use his pitch as well. And that is um, really good. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of similarity to Logan Allen with him, um, but he it, his breaking ball is a bit of a different shape. But the pitchability and the arm slot, there's there's a little bit of similarity there. That's a good point, too. The low arm slot really makes him difficult to pick up. And that's why Cleveland likes those kind of guys like like a Logan Allen, like a, a Parker Mastic. That's what makes him interesting. And, hey, like we said, Chase, he doesn't have to pitch chase the water now. So the right. one guy who got him out in college uh, no longer has to face him. Um, all right. Since you mentioned kind of the last couple of starts being good for Parker Messick, another guy I was super impressed with towards the end of the year was Ryan Webb. I thought his, I don't know, his last month or so, I mean, the month of August was really good for him. The – Monta said, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say August. August was good for him. It was a little bit shorter. Some of his items were cut short in August. So his last August start was good. His last two starts in September were also um, very good. He's going to be 25 next season. Um, he missed some time this year with a oblique issue, but he came back and did pretty well. I think he might be an AFL candidate because this is a guy who, you know, missed half of last season with Tommy John. He missed part of his final college season, too, with that. That's why Cleveland was able to get him later in the draft in the fourth round. Um, then he missed time with the oblique issue this year. But his control has come back. You know, he didn't walk more than two batters, I don't think, uh, from June on in a game. So that's good to see. That's usually a year out. The control starts to come back. Um, the stuff got better, though. I thought the changeup was good. I'm not sure where he was at fastball velocity-wise, but I really like the curveball. I will say I like the curveball. I would like to see him go pitch in the AFL get some more innings because the more reps this guy gets, the better because he is going to be 25 next year and he's got to start moving along. And I, I think there's a, uh, a major league starter in there somewhere. Yep. I think that that is true. I think if we look at last year for hints as to if that will happen or not, Hunter Stanley was a bit older for last year's group of guys. And uh, he went to double a this year and they made him a starter. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to like if, Ultimately, it's where they wanted him to be, but he was a reliever in the fall league and, and most of one. last year, if I recall correctly, and, and good at what he was doing. And then they moved him to the double A rotation. I wonder if they'll, in a similar way, uh, with uh, uh, Ryan Webb, if they do that with Reed Johnston as well, though he pitched more innings. Um, but that's a little off topic. On the topic of Ryan Webb, I thought that his last start, which was the last start of the season, last game of the season, um, he was rocking a little bit early um, and he kind of gathered himself, composed himself and turned that what looked like it was going to be a hit parade for Lansing into six innings of one run ball. He really showed composure. He relied on his fastball and changeup to navigate the lineup. Um, 
I don't think he was throwing the changeup same side. Some guys will throw that changeup to left-handed hitters. He doesn't seem to be doing that much yet. He has a really good breaker, like you mentioned, and he leans on that when he's facing left-handed pitchers or left-handed hitters especially. So um, he hasn't really needed to throw that changeup same side a whole lot. And that might be something to monitor going forward. Like he has three pitches that seem to be reasonable. I'm not sure that fastball is, well, he could probably make it work if he gets people kind of leaning one way or the other, like kind of like Will Dion did um, when he was in Lake County. Um, but there is a bit of a trend with these, with the left-handed pitchers that Cleveland it has been selecting. Like Maybe not so much Dion because it was a smaller school, but Logan Allen was very polished coming out of college and he rose through the ranks very quickly. Uh, Parker Messick, very polished coming out of college. Everyone was like, well, this is a fast mover. Everyone was stunned when he started at Lynchburg. Um, and with Ryan Webb, it was, well, he's polished, but he's hurt. We don't know what he's going to be. But profile-wise, those, those three all have very similar types of stuff in my estimation. The three being Allen, Messick, and uh, and uh, Webb. Um, Dion's kind of in a class of his own, doing his own thing in his own way. Yeah, Dion. He, I mean, he did, he did spend some time at Lake County this year. I'm still. He's gotten better at Akron. I'm. Yes. The guy. <laughs> he said that Dion's a hard one for me to peg because I'm like, okay, this isn't going to work at 89.90. It's just not going to work. And it and then it working. works. I know. I know. Nothing has blown up on him yet, and he's. He's still missing bats because he's got a ray of off-speed stuff. He might be a, yeah, I don't know, he might be a left-handed Eli Morgan. That's that's the best way I can I can put it. But uh, it keeps working. I think Webb has a little more fastball than some of those guys. Like I know in college he was touching ninety-four. Okay. Um, I don't know if he had that this year, but he, I know it's in there. And he was touching it last year when he got back from um, from Tommy John recovery. So the fastball exists in there somewhere. Uh, Cleveland's just got to find that low to mid nineties life once again, because you know, only so many guys can handle pitching 89, 91 and Will Dion has impeccable control. Parker Messick for the most part has impeccable control. Webb doesn't quite have that level of, of command they do. So yeah, um, I think, yeah. So he, he's going to need a little more giddy up on the fastball if he's going to survive because he's not going to throw it through a cup like the other two. So I, I just realized that for the people that have not attended a Lake County captain's game, um, I am guessing a lot on these velocities because there's no um, spin off, like there's no uh, velocity readings that display. Um, I believe at one time there was, there is not anymore. There probably will be in the coming years, but um, I'm just guessing. And if a scout happens to come by and say like, this is a legitimate 95 to 97 for a particular guy, then I'll like run with that. But I don't have a, I don't have a gun, so I can't really tell one way or the other. Sometimes I tell by if the pop of the glove is a little bit harder than I'm used to. Like Messick reared back a few times; those were probably 93. But that, that's all I got for you in that respect. Yeah, I mean, I usually have my radar gun with me, and I, I just didn't happen to be there this year when Ryan Webb pitched because he missed. Oh, you know, the last the last Ryan Webb start I saw at home was the night of that downpour was the night of the, that the, uh, the floods were coming and they got yeah, what? Four two, outs. Yeah. He got four outs. And I was like, I'm not even going downstairs. I'm not going to go get a radar. Cause I'm going to get poured on. And, and what happened? So we all sat upstairs, you know, for like an hour waiting for the, the game to be called, which it was, but, 
Yeah, that was the only home start of Ryan Webb I saw. So, you know, I did have my, my radar out for, for Mess a couple times, for Hankins, for Steven Najar, for Reed Johnson. I saw a number of these guys this year. So, yeah, I do hope that in the future we'll see uh, a uh, radar gun on the scoreboard eventually. That, that, is, that is, You're right, that's never been the case. That was actually um, a request from Cleveland when the ballpark was built to not have a um, radar gun installed because they didn't want their pitchers looking at their velocity. So, uh, hopefully that'll change in the future because I was actually sitting behind Parker Messick's grandparents the last start I saw him at home, and uh, his grandparents were like, "Hey, how come there's no radar?" I was like, "I told him a story," and I was like, "Oh, well, in Lynchburg they had it, in college they had it." I said, "Yeah," I said, "Well, it'll probably be happening soon. I just don't know when." But I, I told him the story, so. Uh, Can you imagine I- an era where you didn't want your guys to know how hard they were throwing? I still get that to a point, like, especially at this level. And then, and, and, you know, back when the captain started, they were in low A. Like, I do get that to a point, but it's also kind of like, you know, you're going to tell them after the start anyway. So, you know, you might as well just run with it and let them have it. Right. Um, all right. We'll stick with pitching. We'll come back to hitting because there's still a couple guys I know we want to talk to on the hitting side of things. And we're, you know, already 37 minutes in here. So um, let's see. Pitching wise, uh, Ethan Hankins. Okay. Up and down, up and down year there. Uh, you know, as expected, coming back from missing two years. I mean, the guy hadn't pitched since 2019 in a competitive game, so not really surprised he had an up and down year. And for a while, he started to look like a guy who was settling back in, looked pretty good. I know he was. Pat had said he a couple of starts he was at, he was hitting 92, 95 uh, consistently. The breaking ball was there, um, and he was pitching well his final start too until that that little. Uh, bouncer caught him in the wrist and he had to leave the game um up and down year it's going to be tough though because this is a guy who everyone's going to be looking at is okay do the guardians put him on the 40-man roster because of rule five eligibility my inclination right now is to say no they won't because i just can't see where he's at where he's been at the last three years a team saying okay we think this guy can stick on our 26-man roster all year i don't see it yet with him um Health depending, depending on how that wrist is right now after the, that that ball he got, um, I thought he was a guy who could go pitch in the AFL because that's a guy who needs the reps. Yeah, more than anything, he needs the reps. I don't think they're worried about him getting shelled in the AFL. He had plenty of um, starts in, in uh, East Lake that went south on him rather quickly, and they were early on. He bounced back from that. He got to a point where he was pitching five innings a start, and that was just nice to see, honestly, because uh, the first few starts I saw of him, I thought, well, this is this is bleak. Um, but it wasn't actually all that bleak. Um, by the time uh, I think August rolled around, uh, there were a few scouts that came up and said, hey, we clocked him at 96 on a few pitches. So that was nice to hear. I know he had been somewhere in that velo band before Tommy John. And maybe I think he had lower velocity the year before he had TJ, but I don't recall what he was hitting in high school. He was supposed to be big stock, big velo guy, but there were always troubles with health. So um, I think that extended injury history is something that's probably a deterrent for most uh, organizations that would otherwise maybe take a risk on a guy who could go in the bullpen and throw 98. I feel a little bit of a Luis Oviedo situation with him in that if he was taken, he probably, like he might get returned because it might not go that well uh, over the course of months and they might not be able to justify keeping him on the roster. But 
and again, this is this is to say like there's potential in there. There's there's a pitcher there. He's got a really good sinking fastball. He's got a hammer curveball. It, it's well, hammer's probably it. It's got a little bit of loop to it. It but it's really slow relative to his fastball. And he's working on a changeup. You can see the ingredients. It's just he needs the innings, like you were saying. So the innings over everything at this point. Yeah, he'll be 24 next year. Hopefully get him in the double A. Uh, yeah, innings this fall. If he can get 20 more innings from the Arizona Fall League, that would be helpful for him. So hopefully that little bouncer he took off his wrist in his last start wasn't too serious. Um, I know he's already back home in Georgia, so hopefully he's just going home to reset a little bit and get ready to go to Arizona. Yeah, last, let's see, last uh, August, or this August, two no, one run, no runs allowed, one run allowed, one run, two. So, didn't allow more than two runs from August on in any of his outings. So definitely got better as the season went on. Like I said, the velocity was there. He was about 98, 99 in high school. I think everybody knew he wasn't going to keep that up in the pros, pitching more often. And um, But, you know, he also, to his credit too, um, not that I haven't heard him to talk about anybody's shape, but um, in terms of his physique before Tommy John, there were some concerns about his build and where he was going. Um he came back this year and he looked fantastic. He looks like a very tall and, and built um, grown up. He, he, he has grown up really. I know I talked to him and he said how much he appreciated pitching and how much he missed it and, you know, how badly he wants to work to succeed, but he looked physique wise, looks better. Mentality sounds a lot better. So I have a lot of faith that um, they're still going to find a pitcher in there, you know, whether what role that is and when it happens, we'll see. But, like you said, the ingredients are there. You can see the outline. They just got to kind of make it come into focus. But, yeah, the Lee Soviedo thing makes sense to me, too. I just I just don't see a team out there who just thinks that they're going to make it work for, for six months on the 26-man roster, even if you play games with, you know, phantom injuries and whatever. I just don't see enough there to to make it work for a whole year and then be able to get him down to AAA to work with him the following year. I just – and I don't see there's enough – not enough circumstance to work in. He's already had Tommy John. What are you going to do? Right. you know, force another injury. Like I, I don't see it working. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a whole lot of incentive to take him. And I mean, like Oviedo got picked by the pirates and they couldn't keep him on during what 57 win season. It's these innings are, are valuable. And it's, it's tough when you can't bring in someone with a lead, a big lead at that, or you can't, you don't know what you're going to get from them. So in that respect, you know, and this is, again, nothing against Stephen Ethan Hankins, who could prove me wrong, get selected in the Rule 5 and run a sub-3 ERA in someone's bullpen. I'm, I'm not all that smart. I don't know ball. <laughs> uh, well, you know a little bit. This has been good so far. So, yeah, I didn't think it happened. But, uh, you know, based on history, the trends would say no. Um, two, two of the last pitchers I want to talk about, if there's anybody else you want to bring up pitching-wise, you know, feel free to interject. But the last two pitchers I want to talk about have had very different seasons. Uh, where they went. The first one, uh, Stephen Hajar. I uh, when he got there, I was excited to watch him because I really liked him in college and I liked the stuff. And he had some really good outings early on. And then as the season went on, I mean, he just lost. He looked like he had the yips almost. Like he made Doug Nikhazy look like a control artist. Like he was Greg Greg Maddox or Tom Glavin. Like Hajar just walked everybody he saw and. I, I do think that the fastball curveball combination he has makes him look like a good reliever, but even a reliever's got to have better control than this. 
Yeah, I think there's a Sam Hentges type in there somewhere, but yep. it's a Sam Hentges type that is like he's got twenty. He's, he's got twenty. He's got like thirty command right yeah. now, in, in my opinion, and it's it's pretty uh, rough when he loses the slot for something. Uh, there was a lot of discussion and hand wringing once upon a time about really tall guys who come in and pitch because their mechanics can get all out of sorts. I think that might have been an Andrew Miller episode as well um, when he was a starter that he'd go longer Randy into the games. And, yeah, yeah, Randy Johnson. Like it took them years to figure it out uh, at the major league level, and in Andrew Miller's case, it took going to the bullpen to figure it out and throwing two pitches instead of three. So, I mean, definitely progression is not linear, but man, I saw Steve Hajar's first start and I was excited to watch him as well. Um, I thought the stuff could be good. I knew the walks could be a little, you know, eh. you don't judge a guy based on one outing either. That's unfair to them, but it was, you could tell he was searching. He was looking for something that he couldn't quite find that day. He went a couple innings. It was a lot of walks. It was not a lot of hits. He doesn't get barreled up very much. And in that regard, he's very similar to Nikhazy because they can walk guys like it's nobody's business on occasion and get out of it because they have a lot of talent and their stuff is unhittable in the zone. So it's, you know, it, it's tough, but it's an enticing profile. And you see why or what they saw when they traded my, my guy, Will Benson. <laughs> Yeah, we could. I, I probably no reason to talk about Justin Boyd, but uh, I was really mm-hmm. excited to see him, and that lasted all of point uh, two seconds this year. Unfortunately, we'll see what goes on there next year. Uh, Franco Alamon, everybody is uh, obviously you know blown away by what he's doing at Double A. We saw him this year at High A for the start of the season, and you know he he was a starter last year, and I was like, yeah, I don't really see it. Like, you know, we'll see what happens with him. And he was, you know, he. This is a guy who went to three different colleges in four years. He bounced around a lot. Didn't have this. Florida doesn't have great a great reputation for pitching, as uh, Jack Leftwich let us know on Twitter last year. Um, that's why the Guardians actually liked a lot of the Florida guys because they felt like there was a lot of developmental meat left on the bone of Leftwich and and um, Tommy Mace, Franco Alamon. Yeah, and and uh, if you would have asked me last year which Florida pitcher I was most excited about in the system, I'd have been like, yeah, Jack Leftwich. You put him in the bullpen, he's up and ready next year. Well. That's Franco Alamon now, but when he was at high A this year, I lo- I, remember I saw him, and I, I clocked him at like 97, and I was like, okay, velocity's good. I don't know if there's a secondary pitch there. Like, I didn't really see the slider all that much, and the arm action is very long, and I'm like, guys are going to pick up on this fastball because he has a very long arm action. It takes him a long, and I'm, I'm worried about how he holds runners because we've seen at the major league level this year, the Guardians bullpen does not hold runners very well. And then Franco Alamon's first run allowed at double A since he's been there was unearned because he made two fielding errors. So um, those are things that uh, always seem to pop up. You know, you don't want to hear about that, but it does pop up. But the stuff was interesting at at Lake County. But if you would have said, hey, this guy's going to go to double A next week and he's going to go on a 25 inning run of scoreless ball, I'd have been like, yeah, and I I don't see that. Sorry, you're you're crazy. So. Agreed, right? I saw him in April. I saw him in May. Maybe around mid-May. It felt like something switched on for him a little bit. As you said, the breaking ball was not there early in the year. You could see the slider starting to uh, come into form, come into shape a little bit more as the year went on, as maybe it got warmer. 
Um, and he, I don't know about the fastball shape long-term. It, it is rather flat. It does have a little bit of two-seam tail to it. That's a pitch that guys at the major league level can get on top of. Uh, but right now, in Akron, it's it's hard to deny results, right? And and for 24 and a third innings, no earned runs, five hits, six walks, I think it is. I mean, that's a whip um, in the point fours. And that's just disgusting. That's you shouldn't be allowed to do that to people. But he's he's doing it. So like you watch him, and it's like watching Peter Fairbanks almost. Um, and in a lot of aspects, that will be a great add to the bullpen um, if he can continue to hold the strikeout rates, which he didn't really have in Lake County. And he if he can continue not to walk people, which again were, was a problem in Lake County. Um, for the time I saw him. So it felt like he shouldn't have been getting hit as much as he was when he was in Lake County, but it was high hitting and double A hitting is is supposed to be better. And he's had more success. So clearly something has changed for him. um, And he's really exciting. He feels like what we want James Karinczak to be. I'm glad you said that because the run he's on right now, like, when James Karinczak was in Lake County, I saw him, and there was a lot of buzz about what he could be. And I saw him his first year, and, and Tim Heron was this way too, kind of. And Tim Heron was kind of an under radar guy when he was in Lake County. And I was like, okay, like I see it. I see the outline of the stuff here, like we talked about with with uh, Hankins a little bit, like you know, or or Ryan Webb. Like the outline of a pitcher is here. You know, you can kind of see the stuff. And Karinczak was like, I don't know, ninety two, ninety four. It wasn't really like special back then, and. He was missing bats quite a bit, even though the fastball was was unexciting. Same with Tim Heron. He had a fastball, he had a slider, a cutter, and it was like 92-94. And then both those guys got to double A and you know their profiles took off. And it's the same as Franco Alamon. So I don't think I have watched a minor league reliever. T- Tim Heron last season, when Tim Heron started to take off, I watched a lot of him and I was taking notice of that. So outside of Tim Heron, the last guy I watched relief wise like this was James Karinchek. So I'm excited about what Franco Alamon could be. I thought I thought Carlos Vargas for a long time was gonna be that that guy, but uh you know you're talking about fastball shape being poor. Carlos Vargas has a very uh very unfortunate fastball shape and uh Franco Alamon might spare. fall in the same book. Yeah it, it does. It it's not not in the way like Emmanuel Class A gets unlucky but in a worse way because it's like you said, the two seam shape isn't good. If he keeps the ball above the hitting zone, I think he'll be okay. He's got to be careful how low he throws it because guys will be able to lift it. I don't know what they're working on it with him in terms of four seam. I know his slider shape has varied a little bit. Like now it's more of a, uh, a vertical slider, less of a sweep. So he's getting under bats that way. I'm, I'm excited this off season to, dissect some video from Lake County and dissect some video from Akron and see if I can see some differences. That's kind of my, one of my projects for the off season to go through that. But I think there's reason to be excited and, and this could be a guy who could be a setup piece at some point. So um, any other pictures, I want to move back to hitters before we wrap this up and any other pictures you want to talk about that maybe uh, I left off for, for good or for bad, because there, there are some bad pictures we could talk about, but I'd prefer not to, go there too much, but is there any other picture you think I, I should be mentioning that I maybe didn't give time to? I know Trenton Denholm has been solid, and he was my guy a few years ago, and I just haven't really been wowed by this stuff since he's been here. 
Yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and agree with that. I'll give you rapid fire. Um, Tyler Thornton, impressive, doesn't make sense to me. I don't really understand how it works, but he makes it work. I think it's got a lot to do with the approach angle on his pitching, not something conceptually I get. But Reed Johnston was a starter at the beginning of the year, has been used out of the bullpen for the last three or four weeks. Expect more of him in the bullpen. His stuff is great if he can command even a little bit. I think that's an exciting piece to maybe add to a bullpen next year. Um, and uh, I think that oh, Lenny Torres still has the stuff, but um, I don't know if he's going like, to command it well enough uh, long term. And the slider isn't as good as it used to be. That's unfortunate. Lenny's gone through a lot, and I, I, I feel for the guy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been been tough for him. Uh, fastball shape is definitely an issue too with him. I mean, he throws ninety nine, like you said, but fastball shape isn't there. The slider was a plus pitch from high school, and I don't know, it just doesn't look like it's, it's there right now. He's rule five eligible too. I, I kind of wonder if a change of scenery it might be better for him at this point. But uh, that's the guy, you know, really rooting for him to to figure it out just with what he's been through over the last year or so. Reed Johnson's a good one to bring up. I was actually pretty high in Reed Johnson coming into the year. I liked what I saw in Lynchburg last year. I thought, okay, this is a guy that doesn't look like he should be a starter because he's got a very weird motion. He's tall. He's lanky, you know, kind of like the Hajar thing we were talking about. He's six foot five or only six foot three. He looks a lot lankier than that. Maybe it's a lot longer. Yeah. And I, I asked him really in the year about his pitching motion and how he works that. And, uh, that was at a time where things were going well for him, and then the walks kind of kind of took off on him. Um, so I agree. I, I kind of do think the relief profile makes sense for him uh, in shorter stints because he can go with the fastball. It can His fastball last year got up to 95 when it was in Lynchburg. When I saw him early in the year, and this is early in the year, guys are still building up arm strength. It's cold. Uh, Reed pitched in North Carolina, so it's a little warmer there in the spring. Um, he was like 90, 93 on, on early in the season. So I don't know what he was late in the year because I didn't see a ton of him late in the year. But uh, if he's in the bullpen, if he can get to 95, I like the action on the fastball. I like the slider. It's got a lot of sweep to it. He can ditch the changeup. I don't know if the changeup yeah. is really a great pitch for him. Um, we don't need it. Yeah, I think he makes a good reliever for sure. There's a, a sleeper reliever in there, so good one. Um, all right, Dian Frias, we'll start with him as we wrap this up. Uh, Midwest League uh, coaches voted him, I should say managers, not coaches, voted him as the best defensive third base in the Midwest League. Um, no surprise there. I mean, I didn't like, I, I didn't watch every Midwest League third baseman like a Hawks. So I can't say, like, oh, he's far and away the best defensive third baseman. But he was a fantastic defender. And you talk about a guy who came on late in the year with pop, like when 11 home runs and did a good job hitting the ball the pole side. Uh, kind of went on a run there. Was it July or August where the pop started really showing up for him? But um, this is a guy I'm really July. interested in. Yeah, no, he's, he, he's shown definitely some traits that are exciting and something that is worth monitoring going forward. He was the person I left out the most when talking about the relatively disappointing power showing for Lake County. He was a guy that had consistent doubles power throughout the year. Um, July, August, he pulled a few more to, um, particularly when he was batting from the left side, um, and hit a few more home runs. So that was exciting. His glove is pretty good at third base. Every now and then he'll make an error where it feels like there was just like a little bit of a lapse in focus or concentration, but his arm impressed me this year. I didn't think he had the arm he has. It's probably a 60. It's good. 
Um, he, he was on an infield with Jordis Valdez, so it was hard to be really impressed with anyone that wasn't Jordis Valdez while fielding. But um, Frias is good. That, that was a, definitely a worthwhile selection. Yeah, he had a rough August. I was just looking at the numbers. The August was rough. You're right. July was good. Uh, September, he he finished the season on a good note, hitting 320 in the last uh, seven games. So, you know, he did wrap up on a good note. Doesn't strike out a lot. Takes a share of walks. Like I said, the power got better. But, yeah, the arm, I think I, it was a play he made on a barehanded throw, and I was like, wow, like I did not think he had that arm. So you're 100% right on that throwing arm. It's going to be able to make him stick at third base, which is good. Um, I, I'm curious to see if he can play anywhere else. Like he didn't, like you said, didn't play a lot of short because of Valdez. Um, and Cleo Watson came over and played some short too. So I don't know what he can do at short. Um, I'd imagine he can play second. If he can play third, I think he can play second. I think he played right. shortstop for the Colombian national team in the World Baseball Classic. So right, I he think did. he's, I forgot he's about got that some experience there. Yeah. So that that's you're right. That's I. Damn, this has been such a long year. I forgot the World Baseball Classic happened. Back in March, you're right. He was their starting shortstop, which says a lot too, um, for a guy who just turned 21. He was 20 until June, so good for him. Yeah, he's a Rule Five eligible guy. I think there's a chance that he could play in the Arizona Fall League just so Cleveland can get a better look at him and you know make some decisions on what they want to do with his spot because Frias has some fans in the organization and around baseball. I know um, people know he can play some defense. He's got some pop. He doesn't strike out a ton. So I could see a team shaking a chance and seeing what happens. Um, no harm if you, need, if you need a guy like that. So it might be good for Cleveland to get some extra eyes on him and see what they think they ought to do. Um, I have no idea why Cleo Watson didn't play the final couple of games of the season, but he had a home run in his uh, <laughs> final game. And the home run he hit, man, it was like it was like high in the air. It looked like a pop-up, but it got over the fence. Um, what did he hit? He hit Five home runs and I'm sorry, he hit uh, yeah five homers in 23 games with Lake County. He only hit seven in 58 with Beloit. Only stole 14 bases with Beloit. Came to Lake County and stole 11. Like he shows you all the electrifying things that made him a first round pick, where people thought he was a top 10 talent. Um, defense kind of rough and consistency and the strikeouts. You can see why. That's part of why Miami decided they were ready to, to give up on him. Yeah, the other part might be the availability portion of this program because um, every time he was in Beloit and I was at a game for Lake County, he wasn't playing for some reason. This happened right before he was traded to Cleveland. Beloit was in town the week before, and right. he didn't play the entire season, but he was healthy because he was active immediately after being traded. So I don't know what that was about, but I do know what it's about on the field. He definitely has the traits. He has all the things that you would want a player to have. Uh, if you were creative playering, uh, he's got some exciting power potential. He's got great speed. Yeah, the fielding isn't great, but this is an organization and a team, a roster with great middle infielders. So even if he was just, you know, a little below average, he looks much worse in comparison when you're talking about the other folks that are in that infield. Um, I do think he's probably someone that you'd want to try out in center field because he has the athleticism and the ability to make those reads. In, in my opinion, I don't know. Like sometimes it just doesn't work out that way, but 
there's an exciting profile there. You can see why Miami was high on him when they drafted him. Um, there's definitely reasons to be excited about him in the medium long term. I think he could be a really exciting player. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I think center field would be a great place for him. Get him off the dirt. There's some consistency issues with the, with the hands. The arm's fine. Um, range, I think, is not really a problem for him because he's so athletic and he moves well. Maybe the footwork is a bit of an issue for him. He needs more consistency there. But I agree. You, you get him off the dirt. Let him just kind of patrol center field. Maybe he turns into a Jazz Chisholm. You know, out. You know, that's that could be a nice uh, transition for him out there. It's 20, you know, 20 home run, 20 steal potential. You hope that he gets on base a little more. The hit tools got to come along. It's, it's going to be a rough project, but, you know, for a struggling Josh Bell for Cleveland, who wasn't going to, they didn't want next year, it's worth a gamble. Um, you know, he had a lot of off-field headaches, or I should say on-field headaches that led to, led to uh, off-field headaches for Miami. It was part of the reason he was obviously let go um, from them, but, you know, Cleveland's got a pretty good feel for character. Like, they don't bring in guys that um, they don't think are hard workers that are going to disrupt the flow. They don't want guys that aren't putting their best foot forward and are headaches. They don't do it. They don't deal with those kind of guys. The last guy I really remember them putting up with and they ended up trading him was Francisco Mejia. Francisco Mejia gave them a bunch of headaches on and off the field. Um, yeah. They traded him. They couldn't. They, I don't think they could wait to trade him when they got him for Brad Hand. So, I'm inclined to think that Cleveland was did their due diligence in terms of what they thought they were getting in terms of Cleo Watson, the person and the worker. Obviously, like you said, everybody knows the talent is there, but I don't think Cleveland has taken that chance unless they feel like they're you know even if it doesn't work out as Cleo Watson long term, which it may not. It's a high bust rate for a player like this, but I feel like they weren't going to take the gamble unless they felt like he was going to put his best foot forward for them, and maybe an organizational change kind of sends a shock to a system and a change of scenery makes him focus a little more. That's my hope. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that that's probably their hope too, that this is like, this is an opportunity to hit the reset button. It didn't get off to a good start. Let's try to move forward. Um, I was a fan of Nate. Nate Firm was on this podcast over the off season. He is a, a friend of the show, a uh, big fan of him. He's a fun dude. Um, Yordis Valdez had a good start to the season hitting wise. Obviously we know what he can do with the glove. He tailed off at the end of the season. Um, those are two guys I'm still interested in seeing more of next year and seeing how they progress, especially Furman, who is, you know, this was his first year in pro ball. Um, that's about all I really got. We talked about Brito a little bit. Um, anybody else that I, you know, we didn't mention that you think is worth, uh, bringing up here at the end of the show. Yeah, so I think there's a Joe Lampy conversation to be had because he had a great start to the year. He had a pretty good September, and the bookend was pretty rough. Um, he feels like a guy who can get the ball and play a whole lot and maybe doesn't hit it with as much authority as he wants to. Great at-bats, really professional at-bats from him. Uh, he and Brito took the best at-bats of anyone I saw at high A until Chase DeLauder started working counts in the last week of the season. Um, and I, I'm convinced that he was just doing that because he, he could. But uh, truly, the ability to work account for Joe Lampy makes me optimistic that there is a hitter in there and that I'm not ready to totally like be out on him. Clearly, the organization thinks that he's worthwhile because they sent him to spring training at the beginning of this year. And um, they weren't aggressive with him at all. He was working through it. Um, I think that there's a hitter in there still. 
but um, that's my little high A soapbox. I, I think that that's it for me on the hitters. Yeah, it, it was a tough year. I mean, people are going to ask about Isaiah Green a little bit. I don't really want to go that's into that year. with Isaiah Green. Tough year for him. Um, yeah, I would have liked to have seen Justin Boyd a little more. Yeah, outside of that, that was kind of the story of the year. The offense was um, interesting early. They had their moments. Milan Tolentino was good while he was there. Yes. Moved up to Akron. He had his moments as well. Um, like you said, catcher was rough. Outfield was rough until uh, DeLauder and Fox really found their footing. And, and you know, apropos for, for DeLauder, finding his foot literally being healthy uh, yes. was a big key for that team. I don't know. I'm looking I'm looking uh, next to next year for Lake County. Real quick preview before we get out of here. You've got, mm-hmm. um, I think Jason Churio is going to start in Lynchburg next year. He only got his feet Probably. wet this year. Um, depending on what happens in the Rule 5 draft, I don't want to um, assume anything. Wilfredo Antunez is a guy a lot of people are interested in. He should be in Lake County unless something goofy happens and someone loves the batted ball profile and takes him in Rule 5. Um, Jose Devers had a great year in Lynchburg. I'm excited to see what he does next year in Lake County. I think CJ Kafish should be your starting first baseman slash outfield in Lake County. Uh, interested in him. I'm trying to think anybody else. He might, maybe you'll get one of the draft picks from this year. Maybe you'll get Tommy Hawk. Um, he could be Tincher. up. Yeah. Yeah. Tincher's got, he was hurt at the end of the year. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, you know, if you love Joe Donovan, you'll love Johnny Tincher even more. Same, very, very much the same guy. Uh, hopefully Justin Campbell is healthy and ready to start the year in Lake County. I think you'll see Andrew Walters in Lake County. Um, I'm just trying to look Justin, up and down. And, when they uh, drafted Nick Sandlin, uh, did he start at high A or did he start at double A? Technically, he started at low A. That was Lake County. Right, right. Okay, Lake, so Lake I County remember him supposed year. to be on like the fast track. And uh, I could see that with Walters, but um, high A would make more sense. Yeah, Lake, Nick Sandlin did not spend a lot of time in Lake County, I will say. I remember seeing his first outing there. I didn't see, he didn't stay long. He moved quickly. Uh, pulled the roster down. Let's see. The pitching in Lynchburg was kind of rough this year. Jorman Gomez was their best pitcher. Uh, Juan Benjamin is interesting. Uh, interesting to see Guy Lipscomb, who stole 50 bases this year in Lynchburg. But that's one of those stats where it's kind of a throwaway stat. Not, not to disparage him, but... Um, guys aren't holding runners there and catchers can't throw anybody out, but he, he stole a lot of bases. So, you know, at least he's interesting to watch big fan of angels or defense. Uh, I'm just looking at the roster and seeing who might be there. And it's, it could be a rough year for Lake County next year. I don't know. I, I don't think we'll see Ralphie Valesquez in high a, so we'll see what happens. No. Could be a rough, uh, rough start. I'd be surprised if Velasquez was out of, the complex leagues next year. It could happen, but it, if it does, it's Lynchburg. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, it, it's all right. There's, there's uh, kind of ebbs and flows to this and not having people circled right now means there's room for surprises. That's true. The room for surprises guys could get healthy. I mean, uh, we haven't really seen what guys will come off the IL next year to come up. We'll see. And maybe they'll make some trades because Cleveland really, you know, if they don't, cash in any of these middle infielders or these prospects on the 40, you know, you're making another Will Benson trade where you're trading a guy on the 40 for a guy at Lake County because you're kicking the game down the road. So that might be a way they backfill that roster. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like less Will Benson trades in my life. I hear you. I hear you. Or, or Nolan Jones, even though Juan Brito has worked out good and 
Yeah. Yeah. Got to figure out a better, a more productive way to, to clear up that issue uh, in the yeah. future. But I don't know. Lake County will be, it'll be interesting to see. Austin Peterson could be there. Yeah. He's kind um, of a Reed Johnson of, uh, type. Alonzo Richardson. Probably. Oh, you know, Adam, Adam Tullock had a sneaky good year. Could be a guy who, you know, has a good season next year in Lake County. I don't know what the upside is, but probably a guy who will, will fare well in high A. Um, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be interesting. I'm really curious to see how they fill out that roster coming into next season with what happened in Lynchburg. I mean, Lynchburg had a, you know, like we said, beginning of the podcast, you don't always, you can't always equate talent with record in the minors. Uh, right. Lynchburg had a winning record for the first time this year since 2018. But I look at that roster and I think, mm, not really sure about it. So we'll talk to Jason Pearl next week and get his thoughts. Cause I mean, the most exciting player on that roster is Churio and he's going to start next year in Lynchburg. He's not coming to Lake County. So right. I don't know. Stay tuned. All right. Uh, before we get out of here, Mike, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on whatever socials you prefer people to follow you on these days, whether it's X or wherever we're hanging out. <laughs> All right. So on X, I believe my handle is still mmahoney157. Um, if you want to follow me there, I am usually unbearable uh, about something or other, but I like to be unbearable about baseball during baseball season. So you know, feel free to hop in. I think your, your, your Twitter is worth Twitter. X is worth following. That's, that's how I found you. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think you're unbearable. I always, I always tell people, whoever, if you ever say people should follow me, I'm like, no, you shouldn't, because I, I, I tweet a lot. I, I tweet a lot less now just because of how Twitter has gone, unfortunately. Yeah, that's but, the uh, other thing. How much of this website is worth being on? But if I you know. are there, I am also um, occasionally I pop in on Quincy Wheeler's uh, fan cast. Um, and yeah, shout it out Tuesdays. Um, that, that usually comes out Wednesday mornings. Uh, that will be running until probably the end of the year. And we're just going to be happier and happier as the season winds down. Oh, what you a shout out where people can find that podcast as well. Um, sure. Let's it's Cleveland Guardians fan, fan cast on, um, you can find that on its Twitter page. Um, you can find that uh, through Quincy uh, Wheeler, Quincy Wheeler one on X as well. Um, it's got its Apple podcasts and Spotify, I believe as well. All right. Yeah. Check out that Quincy, uh, once upon a time, did some writing for us at, uh, IBI slash GBI. So remains a friend of the program. And, yeah, uh, he's, Mike, at, you... he's at the, um, uh, uh, SP nation. I can't remember the name of it. Goodness. Covering the corner. Covering the corner. The yeah. My good friends over there. Always been, always been good guys over there. Uh, covering the corner, and I'm sure Quincy will carry on the tradition there as uh, things have transitioned a little bit. Mike, you are now a friend of the podcast, and I anticipate we'll be talking prospects again soon because uh, I enjoyed talking about prospects with you. This was good. I hope anybody who listened uh, is smarter today for listening to this podcast. I am because you helped me because, uh, like I said, you saw more captains baseball this year than I did. Hopefully next year I'll see just as much, and I hopefully I'll see you there as well, Mike. Hey, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody, this week. Thanks for sticking with us. Like I said, Jason Prill next week as we uh, do the autopsy on Lynchburg season, and then we'll get to Akron and Columbus as their seasons round out. And then we'll get to everybody's favorite topic, the Rule 5 draft in the 40-man roster. We will – I think Willie Hood will rejoin me for that. We will break that down. That's usually our uh, our best-performing show of the year. Everyone wants to know who the Rule 5 prospects are going to be, who's going to be on the 40-man roster 
I can't believe we're already there. But uh, so that's what you can look forward to in the future. A lot of off-season stuff to come uh, as the news shows up. So thanks for listening, and uh, make sure you're following on socials. I'll put the link to the newsletter in the, the show bio. All that good stuff. Make sure you're reading there because we we do write about the prospects most days. Not. Yeah, all right. Thanks, everybody. Circle your calendars for the Willie Hood appearance. That's right. Willie Hood making his return sometime. I don't know when. He's coming back, though. I promise. That's what he really wants. Thanks, everybody. Okay.